I will say, most of you that know me know when there's a special occasion, generally speaking, I'll have some sort of sermon relating to that. I don't disappoint anyone, but that actually will not be the case today. There's a reason for that. Uh, that's because this lesson is what I view as kind of like the next step of the things that John talked to us about, uh, talking about the idea of journeying forward and the idea we journey forward in faith, just like Abraham. And especially in that last lesson, a couple ideas came to mind relating to hope. Uh, which is what we'll talk about. If you want to go ahead and turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, we'll see this phrase about it being the anchor of the soul. Um, but anyhow, he said a number of things, and I kind of started connecting these thoughts to the next step of, of hope. And then over the course of the week, two or three different other ideas relating to hope came to mind. Not that I was searching, just through reading and studying. They just kind of jumped out. So I thought, well, apparently I need to talk about hope this morning. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, then we'll begin with Hebrews chapter 6. And, and by the way, kind of a, a reference to last time I preached, I was told apparently whatever design and font I used, nobody could read it. <laughs> it looked fine on the screen here, but apparently was tiny up there. So I'll revert it back to just a very plain, simple presentation. Uh, if any of you cannot read it, let me know, and I'll try and make further adjustments next time around, because, I mean, the presentation's for you all, not me. It's pointless if you all can't see any of it. Uh, having said that, let's go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 6, and you'll know here it begins talking about Abraham and the things that he did. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, swear he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone, gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So again, kind of picking up where we left off last Sunday, we're talking about, it, it, this begins by talking about Abraham and the oath that God made to him. And there's a, there's a point being made here that God is so unchangeable, so reliable, so certain. Unlike man, God doesn't have to swear by anything. <laughs> he just swears by himself. You know it's true because I said it's true. The end. Abraham believed that. But Abraham also had hope. And that's what we're going to talk about. But I want us to notice something here. We, we, towards the end of this passage, we transition. We're not focusing on Abraham anymore. We're focusing on us. And what this writer is telling us, specifically beginning in verse 18, he says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible to lie, we, you know, not just Abraham, but we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And I want to present, not just I, but this author here is presenting, it's not, this hope is not some vague ambition, you know, something that may or may not come true. I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I want to kind of address that right out of the gate. More often than not, when we when, sometimes when we say hope, it's this kind of vague, wishful thing. I mean, basically, it's wishful thinking. Uh, that's that's the 
the simple fact. When we say hope, sometimes it's just simple, uh, wishful thinking. But this writer refers to it as a certain thing, as an anchor of the soul, not wishful thinking. It's something that you can use to anchor your life, having certainty, just like Abraham did, certainty that we will receive what God has promised us. However, it's very difficult to talk about one without the other, one being faith, the other being hope. They're, they're, they certainly go hand in hand and require one another. I mean, the very passage, go ahead and turn over there, Hebrews chapter 11, the very passage we often use to uh, kind of give the, the textbook definition, if you will, of faith includes the word hope. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so there you have it right there. Some of your translations may word a little bit differently, but just about everyone I've seen has those two words in it, faith and hope together. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So they, they go hand in hand. We require both. But there's a passage that I would use to indicate that clearly they are not the same thing. In James chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, we're also very familiar with this one as well, but that describes essentially the demons have faith, don't they? It says there in verse 18, Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So two things are one, it, it outright says the demons believe. They have faith. Now, they don't have the working faith that James is talking about here, but just the simple idea of belief and trust, like the, the demons do believe. But you notice they don't have hope. How do we know that? They shudder. <laughs> they don't have hope. They believe. They know what's coming. They know who God is. They know who they've rejected. They know the truth. They've chosen to not follow it. And that's why they don't have hope. They shudder. And so faith and hope should go hand in hand, and yet they are two distinct things because demons believe, and yet they don't have hope. And I would say, so when we read this passage, I mean, and sure, James is obviously using an extreme example uh, of what it means to have faith and working faith by talking about demons but I would suggest, like the demons, we can sometimes have faith in things without having hope in them either. And here's what I mean by that. I guarantee you what I'm about to say, we have all been in this situation before. Um, and that is this. You have some situation at hand, or you just have somebody. You know how this person is. You know how they behave. You know how they act. You know their attitude. And you say, one day, this, whatever that may be, this is going to happen. <laughs> One day, that person, I know it, they're going to do this. Or this situation is going to come up, and here's how they're going to respond. Now, are you a prophet that saw the future? No. You just, you know that person, you know how they respond in those situations, and you know when that situation plays out, here's how they're going to respond. It might be days, it might be weeks, it might be months, it might be years later, and that thing comes true exactly how you said it. Now, again, you're not a prophet, <laughs> But you, just, you know, you know how it's going to go. 
And more often than not, when we do that, it's in a negative sense, right? We're not like, oh, I know, they're just going to be wonderful and great and respond well. No, we, we mean it in a negative sense. In other words, we kind of, we have faith. You know, we can't prove it. We don't know it. We haven't seen the future. But do we hope for that? Do we hope that's going to happen? In fact, we, all, we often follow up with what? I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I hope something changes. I hope I, that this doesn't come true, but I'm pretty sure it will. So you see, even we, like the demons, sometimes have faith in things, knowing, you know, knowing that they're going to come true. But we don't hope for it. We don't look forward to it. We hope we're wrong. And, so, and yet, so again, this proves that faith and hope truly are two different things. So that being the case, what's the difference between the two? What's the difference between faith and hope? Let's just, uh, I'll kind of pause for a few seconds. Just think about that. How, how would you describe the difference between faith and and hope. Now, we're going to look at some examples shortly. Um, I, I was not able to find a passage that was so concise as what we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, where that described faith. I could not find a parallel for, you know, where a writer's literally giving, here's the definition of hope. We're going to look at a lot of examples and a lot of things that kind of bear that out. We'll understand what hope is by the time we're done. But again, I couldn't find a basic a quote, textbook definition passage on that. And so here's what I, how I would describe the difference between faith and hope. Faith is knowing something to be true without being able to prove it. And when I say prove it, I mean in like scientific or literal terms. Faith is knowing, and I want to emphasize that is knowing. It's not pretty sure, it's not confident. Take Abraham, for example. If, you, if he's on his journey to Canaan, you want to ask him, hey, do you, do you actually believe God? He's like, yeah, I, I think so. I don't have any reason to doubt him. No, Abraham, I believe. I know. I mean, you, we, we looked at the example of how he behaved with sacrificing Isaac. He knew. He had faith. So that's faith. Knowing something to be true without being able to prove it. And so I would say hope is knowing that something positive is in our future without being able to prove it. In other words, it's not like the demon's faith where we just, we know this idea, we know this concept, and it may or may not be good. Things may go sideways and be bad. Or it's not just a, a, a blind faith where it's like, yeah, yeah, sure, I believe God. I'll follow, and yeah, we'll see what happens at the end. Not at all. Or I've got nothing better to do. <laughs> that's, not, that's not hope. Hope is knowing that something positive is in our future without being able to prove it. And like faith, though, not being able to prove it doesn't diminish our knowing. Because, again, I want to emphasize, I mean, I probably should have bold, italicized, bigger thought, knowing. It's not wishful thinking. It's not we'll see. It's not maybe. It's I know it. I know in my future there's something positive. Even though I can't prove it to you. I can't, I can't show you a picture of it. I can't find a recording of it, but I know it. Something positive is in my future. Now, that definition of hope is a very broad one. That can, that can be used in biblical terms, in Christianity. It can be used with things completely outside of Christianity. But, of course, the things we're concerned with is what things should we hope for as defined by the Bible? Now, as we look at these examples, I want you to keep this definition in mind because each of them are going to be something we look forward to, positive, in the future that we know and trust as an absolute certainty, this will happen. So one of the things that we hope for is that we can endure to the end like Jesus. 
Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. This is something that God tells us to have hope in. That when we look at Jesus, when we look at what he did, it's not this like blind aspirational thing where it's like, oh yeah, look what Jesus did, but that's impossible, so forget about it. No, we look at what Jesus did and we have hope that we can do likewise. Let's look in verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to look at another passage in a second to connect these two. But I want us to look at what was just described there. That's part of our hope is we look and we see what Jesus did. And he went into the high place where we previously could not go. Now, what the author is trying to say here is not trying to say, look, Jesus went where you can never go. <laughs> Jesus experienced something that you're never going to experience. No, how do I know that? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. We often use this passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, in relation to faith. And that's true. As I said, faith or, or hope requires faith. But this passage that I'm about to read gives us why we should have hope, gives us something to hope for, that we can endure to the end just like he did. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is, all those people that was described in chapter 11 as having faith, including Abraham, says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter at our, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, again, think through what's being described here. This writer is not saying, look at this hopeless, aspirational thing that you can never live up to and feel good about it. No, he's saying, look at all these other people who did it. Look at all these other people who endured to the end. And then most importantly, look at Jesus who endured to the end. He despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. This writer is telling us we can and should do likewise. And so that's something that we can have hopeful in. And I want us to be clear on something. This is not solely dependent upon us. In other words, do we have work to do in order to endure to the end? Absolutely. We, we can't just like hit cruise control. And again, that's where we get into this wishful thinking. Oh yeah, things are going to turn out fine. That's hope. No. We can actually trust that God will help us. Because if, if God weren't helping us, this would be hopeless. How, how could we ever rise to the standard set by Jesus? We never could without God's help. And yet we're told here, look to him and do likewise. And so one thing that we hope in is that we will endure to the end like Jesus. And in doing so, we will then be glorified like Jesus. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We'll read the first three, three verses here. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
because he, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I mean, there then it specifically uses that word. We hope in him. Now, what is it we hope in him? Verse 2, it's that we will become like him. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Now, I've, I, I've got to say, I don't know exactly what that means, that we will be like him. But when it comes to um, all the different descriptions, all the different explanations of what's going to happen when this life is over, right? You may have the, the symbolic imagery in Revelation. You have uh, Jesus talking about mansions prepared for us. You have Paul who talks about the resurrection in chapter 15 of, of 1 Corinthians. All these different pictures of uh, trying to, as best we can understand it, grasp what's waiting for us, right? Of all of those, this one is actually my favorite. Like those others, I don't know exactly what they mean, but I just know it says we'll be like him. I mean, just, just think about that. If, if we endure to the end, we're to find hope in the fact that we're going to become like Jesus. We who are so unworthy have been given the hope that at the end of this life, when you endure, you're going to become like him. And I want us to understand something here. That when it says like him, it, it doesn't mean like him when, as he was on the cross. Or like him as he was in the wilderness. Or like him even on the Sermon of the Mountain or, or, or other places kind of at the peak of his, his existence here on this earth. That's not what it means. Because it's saying we're going to be like him as he is when he appears. I think probably the closest thing we can get to that in the recorded New Testament at least is the transfiguration. That's where they saw a glimpse of who Jesus truly was. Now, are we going to literally you know, be at the right hand of God? No, only, only Jesus has earned that right. But just becoming like Jesus, that's something to hope for. I, I don't really, I'm not going to say I don't care, I do. But like, it doesn't really matter like what's heaven going to be like. I'm sure God can take care of that and make sure there's a place that we will appreciate. All of those things, but just the privilege of just even being included in a comparative statement to Jesus is, is so powerful and something to look forward to. That we will, not, not might, not hopefully, but we will be like him. And finally... This might be one we don't often think of, and that is, we should find hope to see the return of Jesus. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, now notice, he says, we're waiting for our blessed hope. What is that? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're supposed to find hope in the appearing of the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to acknowledge here is Paul explicitly acknowledging and discussing the return of Jesus, or is it just simply the sense in which we're all going to behold him someday and see him someday, whether we die before this, life, this, this world ends or it's literally his coming? I, I don't know exactly which 
you know, since he's using this appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus. But the, the end result's the same. Whether, whether it's as a result of us dying and going to see him, or if Jesus literally came down right now, that's something we should hope for and look forward to. Now, when you think about that, that, that can seem a little daunting. And here's what I mean. These, these, these other ideas of hope that we can endure to the end, that we'll, we'll go to heaven, we'll be glorified like Jesus, no matter how much we have a biblical sense of hope and true faith, I think in our human minds we still kind of think of, uh, you know, at, down the road, once we've lived our full life, we've had children, we've had grandchildren, maybe even great-grandchildren, and we're on our deathbed, and we've lived a fulfilled life, and we're ready to go, and then we're going to see Jesus. If we truly have hope, if we truly have faith, if we truly are looking forward, then we should also find hope and joy in the idea that Jesus could come back today, that we could look up into the sky before this day is over and see him. That should fill us with hope, but if instead it fills us with fear, we're going to talk about some of this here, we're almost towards the end, if that fills us with fear, do some self-reflection. Uh, do some self-reflection of why does the idea of Jesus showing up today not fill me with an idea of joy, but fill me with an idea of unfinished business, of fear. Now, there's, a, there's certainly a, a sense in which, I think Scott has been the one who said this before, if a bus showed up right now in the parking lot and said, we can all get on it and go to heaven, will we do it? Part of us, like Paul, part of us would want to, but part of us would know there's still work to be done here. Now, there might be a sense of that when we think about Jesus, not necessarily returning, not necessarily, I have work to do on myself, but like, man, I wish I could do more for other people before, before it's over. But regardless, what Paul's saying is find hope in the idea of his appearing even today. So, back to my definition of, of hope, it's, the, it's knowing that there's something positive in our future without being able to, to prove it. I think all three of these are perfect examples of it. And they all point towards the same thing. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in him because of what he did for us. He died for us. We've been washed of our sins. And now we can endure to the end like him. And we will be glorified like him. And one day we're going to see his return. Whether we died and see it on the other side of this life or whether we're still here. We should find hope in the idea of seeing him return. Now finally, I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. There's a very interesting phrase used here, and I think this phrase really underscores what I'm saying, that hope is not a passive thing. Hope is not something that you're just like, yeah, yeah, I hope this happens, maybe it will, but it's an active thing. It's something that, similar to what we read with James, you know, faith with works, and faith without works is dead. Well, the same is true of hope. You can't have this idle hope that's just like, oh yeah, we'll see. And I think this passage is what bears it out. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, like all these other things, this is looking forward. This, is, this hope is looking beyond this life to something that's kept in heaven for us. 
But this phrase is used that we're born to a living hope. What does that actually mean? Now, when I, when I did a little research on this idea of living hope, I came across a quotation from a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, a very well-known preacher from, I believe, the late 1800s, if I remember the, the time period correctly. It's been a while. But he wrote a commentary on the book of 1 Peter. And when I was looking through this, I came across this quote that described living hope. And I thought, that's it. <laughs> this is what we mean when we say living hope that is active and that's something that we do and that it's not just wishful thinking. And here it is. He says, we must have a hope. And the Christian is not left without one. He has a living hope. That is to say, first he has a hope within him, real, true, and operative. Some men's hopes of heaven are not living hopes, for they never stir them to action. They live as if they were going to hell, and yet they coolly talk about hoping that all will be well with them at last. A Christian's hope purifies him, excites him to diligence, makes him seek after that which he expects to obtain. I think in reading that, we've all, that, that part where he talks about some live as if they're going to hell and yet coolly talk about, oh, things are going to be good in the end. We know what that means. Uh, and sadly, I think some of us have been there. But as he rightly points out, it has to stir us to action. Hope is not passive. Hope, like faith, is something that we act upon. And so in closing, I want to look at some concepts from 1 Peter chapter 1. And that is, actually, let me, let me pause. For sake of time, I was hoping to, to read all of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. I don't know that we necessarily have time for that this morning. I will look at three different ideas from it, though. But I would ask you, when you go home, whether today or tomorrow or later this week, read 1 Peter 1. Read the whole chapter with this idea in mind, living hope. Because you're going to see a lot of things in this passage. I've only called out three. But you're going to see a lot of others that, that explain and show for you hope in action. In other words, it's going to show you living hope. But I've picked out three from this chapter that I'd like for us to look at together this morning. So, in order to have a living hope, we must demonstrate something that we've talked about already, and that is endurance. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, uh, though it is tested, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It talks about our hope. Through that, we're going to endure trials. And as it says, we're going to rejoice. Why? Because through that testing, as he, as he describes, it's like gold being refined, being burned of any impurities that results in what? Praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we have hope, we will endure trials and as it describes here, rejoice in it. A passage that comes closely to mind for this is in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Paul talks about a, a similar, talks about, uses very similar language. Romans 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in the sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given for us. He, he again talks about, like Peter, talks about rejoice in sufferings. I mean, from a human standpoint, how absurd does that seem? What do you mean rejoice in sufferings? Why? It's because we have hope. Because we have hope that these sufferings are only temporary. We have hope that not only are these sufferings temporary, but it's going to produce good things. That this suffering is just us being gold in the fire, removing things that weaken us and introducing things that strengthen us. That's why. But there's another idea uh, that I, I really like that this passage brings out. And I'm going to say it almost like derailed the entire sermon and made me do, uh, go on a different path with hope. But I want to put this out there. Did you notice what he went there in verse 3? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope is something that's produced. You see, hope is produced. Hope isn't just given to us. Like, oh, I did a good thing for you, so you can expect good things. Here you go. Here's hope. Even in knowing those things, and those things being that Christ came, he, he lived, he died for us, he was buried, he was resurrected, even that, I mean, sure, we hope in that, and yet there's still further hope that must be produced, and it is produced, how? Endurance, followed by character, followed by hope. If we can't endure... How are we ever going to get hope? If we can't be of the correct character, how can we ever get hope? Again, this is demonstrating that we must act out our hope. It must be living. And we live it by enduring suffering, by producing character, becoming stronger through it. And that's how we know that all of this is real. We can endure, we can become stronger, and therefore we know we just keep doing it until the end. And then we're going to receive the promise. Another aspect of if we're going to have living hope, we must demonstrate joy. Turn back to First, uh, I'm sorry, First Peter, First Peter chapter one, verse eight, it says, "Though you have not seen him, that is Jesus, of course, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory." Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Now, I've kind of pointed this out with this stuff about endurance and suffering, but don't forget, Peter just got done talking about suffering, enduring, like going through the fire. And then he says this. He says that we rejoice with joy. And, and it's not just a mild joy. It's a joy that's inexpressible. If we have hope, we should also have joy. Because we know that no matter what we're going through in this life, there's so much greater things behind. Proverbs chapter 10, a very brief passage, uh, talks about us, uh, or uses uh, the same idea. Uh, Proverbs 10, 28, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Now let me ask. We've talked about hope, uh, we've talked about hope as it relates to suffering and endurance and, and those sorts of things. But just in general, as Christians, knowing what God's done for us, knowing what waits at the end, do we actually demonstrate joy? Because that's what hope produces. Hope produces, as, as defined by what we just read in Proverbs chapter 10, the hope of the righteous produces joy. If we have hope, we should also have joy. And we should, as it says, joy that is inexpressible. 
Do we have joy? I fear sometimes we don't. I fear sometimes we, we look like we're a funeral procession marching to heaven. Not a joyful parade marching to heaven. Why, and I'm, I'm, I'm condemning myself here too. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not like, oh, you all, and look at me. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not first in line here when it comes to expressing joy. Let me be clear on that. I'm not. I'm not there. I need to do better. And I don't, need, I don't mean that in a generic, oh, yeah, we need to do better. I need to do better. Because sometimes I look like that funeral procession marching to heaven. Who's going to get in line behind me? Who's going to, who's going to follow? Who's going to want, hey, man, what, what's, what's different in your life? If I don't show joy, nobody wants to be a part of it. We can be right all day long about uh, faith and baptism and the Holy Spirit and how often we take the Lord's Supper and it's, all these things. We can, be, quote, we can be right all day long, but if that doesn't, if we're never moved to joy, Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. How many people have ever walked up to you and said, Hey, tell me how much you know. <laughs> tell me how smart you are. Tell me how right you are. Nobody's going to do that. But when people, Hey, why are you so happy all the time? Why are you so joyful all the time? That is going to produce results. And so if we have hope, we also have joy. I mean, if you can't, just like you can't have faith without hope, you can't have hope without joy. And so my question to you, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm right here in a very real specific sense of something I need to work on, having joy. Because that's going to be one of the key things that others can, can, can see and come to know God is through joy. And then on, on the flip side, I want to put another idea out there. Um, this might, I'm not saying this is the answer in all cases, but when you look at uh, what we read in Proverbs chapter 10, what was the other side of that coin? He said, the hope of the righteous produces joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. I'm going to turn over there because I was about to misquote it. The expectation of the wicked perishes. If we don't have positive expectations, if we don't expect to receive anything good, now part of it might just be let's get realigned in our perspective, right? I mean, look at look at Job for example. He was a righteous man. He didn't do anything to deserve any of those things, and that, that may well be where we are. But I want you to think about this very real idea too. If if you feel like no matter which way you go, <laughs> things fall apart. No matter which way you go, things don't turn out. The, the expectations that we have, the, the, the things we want, just manage to perish, as it says in Proverbs chapter 10. Might it be because we're not conducting ourselves in a righteous way? Might it be that, as, as Proverbs 10 indicates, maybe we're in a trap of our own making? Maybe nothing's working out because we haven't worked on the thing that matters, and that is being righteous. Which leads to the final point here. In order to have a living hope, we must demonstrate holiness. Back here in 1 Peter chapter 1, moving on to the latter half, beginning in verse 15, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. 
And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now I want us to, to pay attention here. I mean, this, this isn't like a contradiction. We can have joy and hope and fear. They're not mutually exclusive. In fact, in, in the same span of words here, Paul, uh, not Paul, Peter says have both. He's told us to have joy. He's told us to endure. But he's also told us to fear. And that fear also moves us as we're, as we're reading here. God says, be holy for I am holy. We notice a similar thing in the passage I read earlier in 1 John chapter 3. That passage, uh, verse 3 says, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so if we actually have hope, then we see within it a need to purify ourselves and be holy as he is holy. And that gets back to the other idea I mentioned. If we can't find endurance, if we can't find joy, maybe start here as the root. Can we find holiness? And in some ways, we might could have flipped these around in a way and talked about holiness first. But if we're not finding endurance, if we're not finding joy in our lives, then maybe we should start at the foundational thing. Is holiness there? If, if we're not being holy, there's our problem. Uh, there's why we don't feel hope there's why we don't feel joy there's why we feel like I just can't make it I can't endure because we're missing the critical component that makes us worthy well not worthy but that enables us to be like him that enables us to be like Jesus we can't be like Jesus if we're not holy and if we can't be like Jesus how can we have joy or endure and so in closing let's demonstrate all three of these things hope is not passive Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is knowing. Knowing what waits us in the end. And we demonstrate our knowledge, not through just sitting around waiting for the boss to show up to take us to heaven, but we demonstrate it by saying, whatever comes my way, I'm going to endure. I'm going to find joy in this life, joy in this knowledge of what's to come. And I'm going to ensure every day that I am holy as God is. And so because of all of that, the writer of Hebrews says that hope is the anchor of our soul. What more of a sturdy term to use than anchor? Nobody throws an anchor out and hopes that... <laughs> See, I just used hope in the negative sense. Nobody throws an anchor out and uses an anchor out and has wishful thinking. Right, there we go. Wishful thinking that maybe it will keep us in our place. Nobody does that. They put the anchor up because they know I'm going to do this and my boat's going to stay right here. It's an anchor. And it should be an anchor for us. And as I just showed, I started to use hope in the wishful thinking sense uh, unironically. I've got work to do. We've got work to do. Let's, uh, let's focus on our hope and what God has in store for us and how it should move us to action because it is an anchor for our soul. Faith kind of gets us down the path, but hope is what helps us endure because we know what's at the end of the path. Think on your life at this time. Do you have an anchor for your soul? Do you hope in a strong, real, living, active sense? If not, what are you missing? I mean, ask yourself, what am I missing if I don't feel like I can endure? If I don't feel joy? If I don't feel holy? What am I missing? If you're not a Christian, that's one. That's, that's the big one. You're missing Christ in your life. Come to him and be baptized and follow him. And if you are a Christian, 
like I said, many many things can cause us to just lose sight um, of, of where we're going. It's not always sin. Sometimes it's just discouragement or we, we just get wrapped up in other things. Um, but if you're not feeling endurance and joy and holiness, ask what's missing. And, and as a Christian, do I have sin in my life? Do I just need to be strengthened? Do I just need help? Whatever the case may be, let us do what we can to help you. And come let us know how we can do that as we stand and sing together.